in a miraculous time. And welcome back to the Fear Response Podcast and our mini-series on Midnight Mass. Yes, welcome back, everyone. We're thrilled to continue talking about this show that we love so much. And this is a fantastic episode. And thank you so much for joining us. It just gets better and better. I think you're right. So mm-hmm. far, I agree. Yeah, but you're what you said earlier off, Mike, that this is a very emotional episode. Very. I mean, they all are. Yeah. But definitely, definitely it is. Exactly. And I should do a little bit of housekeeping here. During the first episode of this series, I made an absolute fool of myself because well, I'm I... I'm glad you said it and not me. Okay. Well, what what is it then? I don't know. You were just being so dumb. <laughs> My stupid voice. And I was <laughs> yeah. like... Yeah. Well, anyway, I did when I said that Riley, a.k.a. Jason Street, because he wasn't Jason Street. He was Matt Saracen. Yeah, he was Matt Saracen. Exactly. Oh, Jason you did Street, make a real fool of yourself, right? Jason Street was terrible. Oh, Jason in those Street first was seasons. the uh, the guy, the football player who got hurt in the first episode. No. Uh, yeah, it was the first episode, eh? Yes, and Matt I think Saracen so. is the guy who has to kind of take yeah, his place. Yeah, he has to be the quarterback after that. Everybody, you should watch Friday Night Lights. It is Ugh, universally regarded please, as a wonderful show. Please watch it. Anyway, I, I feel foolish for doing that. If you guys know the show, you were probably throwing things at your podcast device. Well, they're listening not listening device. anymore. They stopped listening to the podcast. That's true. After they're that. gone. Sorry. Yeah. I, and I deserve it. It's yeah. no less than I deserve. So we are here to talk about episode three, which is titled. Oh, it, it's Proverbs then. Proverbs. Yes. And Lisa speaks about it. She says Proverbs mean wisdom. So. Yeah, we've had a lot happen in that last episode. It, it ends on the miracle with mm-hmm. Lisa kind of walking and, and stepping out of her wheelchair with Father Paul, knowing it would happen by calling her up the steps. Mm-hmm. This one opens with Paul in confession. Oh, right. And he's confessing to no one. I believe it's an empty, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you call the little kiosks there. A confessional. Confession booth. Confessional. Confessional. So whoever, the other confessional, I believe, is empty. Um, but he's apologizing. Or the vampire's in there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Um, he's apologizing for lying to the town. But I was kind of thinking, you know, like we were mentioning last time, he's kind of apologizing for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. he's saying, I'm sorry for lying to them about their pastor, about their priest Mm-hmm. Monsignor Pruitt, I lied to them. You know, he's not what they think he is, and he's not sick, like I said, but I had to do it in order to do all this stuff. So, you know, rather than apologizing for what we were talking about, which is making a decision to have them ingest mm-hmm. vampire blood, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's saying, I'm sorry for being duplicitous and for lying about, you know, where their priest is at. Yeah, as if that that's the thing that they'd be upset about. Oh, yeah, they're like, wait a second, I thought he was just sick. And they probably would do that. And then they'd find out all this other stuff and they'd be like, well, hang on, what was that stuff you just said there? <laughs> I'm a little more worried about that. There's some serious information dumping because we yeah. get a bunch of flashes of his pilgrimage to mm-hmm. um, Israel, um, Jerusalem. Y- yeah, to Jerusalem in Israel, to yeah. like to the Wailing Wall, like to the, the Holy yes, Land. Yes, yes. And so we see clips of old Monsignor Pruitt, who really is Father Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is 
senile. He's mm-hmm. kind of wandering away from his tour group. Yes, he's getting lost, all this stuff. Can you imagine if you were a tour group that like spec- like specifically brings old geezer priests to the Holy Land or holy men to the Holy Land and you fucking lost one in the desert? Can you imagine? Probably happens all the time. Yeah, it's like, I'm sorry, they were lost to the desert. Well, and if they are these old geezer priests, they're probably fascinated by every inch of the place, too. Mm. You know, so they probably would have to... You'd have to have them on a leash, like when you take your kids at daycare for a walk. I'm sure they would have a wandering plan for, like, how how to catch people. It would have to be, like, a one-to-one ratio (laughs) of, like, tour guides to... (laughs) to old senile priests. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. Is it, like, they don't have to be old. Probably a lot of them get no. the pilgrimage done <laughs> yes. when they're younger. Yes, probably a lot of them are young. But yeah, if someone said, yeah, my our local priest who's 80 is going to come, I think that I would want to have a little contingency plan for keeping him safe. Yeah, does he have a carer? Maybe they could both come. Yeah, do, right? can you send Bev? <laughs> oh, God. Like, no, no, please. Oh. <laughs> She'd throw off the vibes of the whole trip. Yeah. She'd be like, actually, you guys are wearing the wrong chasubles today. <laughs> The gold chasuble is all that fits me right now. (laughs) You can't sit with us! (laughs) They look pretty roomy. I think I would love being a priest just for that reason. If only the one chasuble fits you, I think you've got a big problem. What did you think of these scenes in terms of his makeup? Because we see a very old man and it's played by Hamish Linklater. So do you know what I find funny about that is... I do not see Hamish Linklater under that makeup. Me, either. I cannot. I had see the it. same experience. I was like, I'm they like, don't even have the same guy? skin tone. I, yeah, I could not figure it out. I'm like, it does not look like, um, you know, when there's other aging up uh, of actors, I feel like so often it's quite obvious. Like, oh yeah, that's you know, Kate Blanchett in old lady makeup, yeah, or whatever. But I was like, they got someone else to be old, but not an old guy. Like, I literally could not see Hamish Linklater's face under that makeup. Nor could I. I thought that he was unrecognizable. Me too. And I thought in terms of their aging up, this might be the most successful. Because it looks like a different person. But And he looked like an old man. He looked a little plasticky, maybe. Yeah, a little plasticky. Um, I think the worst one is Sarah's mom. Yeah. She's the one they did it the most to. And do you think that that's because we spent the most time with her? And her voice doesn't match quite. She does her best. Yeah. Um, I think that, like... She's got the wrinkles, but she doesn't have the sag that would come in her face with, like, the aging. Do you know what I think would have maybe been better is if they had put her in, like, a bulkier bathrobe or something. Because it maybe would have, help. would have given more of the, the like, hunched, stooped kind or, of or, effect. Yeah, or, like, put something under the back of her bathrobe to make a little bump there and or maybe, something. Maybe maybe put her in, like, a bonnet and not the gray wig. <laughs> yeah, long, long gray hair. Yeah, like, maybe, maybe do something else with her head. Yeah. <laughs> You just yeah. like hide it. Yeah. Like, just or you know what? Just have her in another room. <laughs> like the shark in Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. She's dysfunctional. We can't and use you her know, in the scene. You don't see her getting up and moving from her bed. You see a barrel floating across Sarah's house and you're like, and Mom's it, on the move. Give, yeah. She's like, Oh mom. Or they could have tied a, a bell around her neck and when you hear the bell, you know she's up and at him and yep. she's like, Okay, she's gotta go put her back to bed. Then though, she would have seemed like a monster. You're like waiting right. for the reveal of Sarah's <laughs> mom. <laughs> Uh, but no, I thought they did a good job on Paul's makeup because he was unrecognizable in the flashback scenes. Um, I think another one of the better ones for the aging up, and I don't know how much. Oh, they, I think that the the parents are good. Like yes, Ed and, I think Ed and 
Oh, what's her name? Annie. Annie. I think that they look good. I think Ed and Annie look great. Maybe particularly Annie. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I can't remember how young she looks when the whole um, when the whole process has run its course. So, well, do you know what's interesting about about her is that like even when when she's supposed to be old looking and at the end she's just a very beautiful woman. Yeah, she looks yeah. great. And Ed Ed is like a you know cute guy too. Like yeah, he's he, there's guy. something cute about him, right? Oh, you know what? I'm looking forward to later in this episode talking about some cute stuff. Such a great scene. So Father Paul, in the aftermath of the miracle, like right after it happens, people are moving and oh, shaking yeah. in the aisles. Everyone's reacting. Yeah. And then he starts like a coughing fit. Um, yeah. And stumbles off and then quickly. Yeah. Like very right quickly. out, right across the lawn, right to his living quarters. And Bev like is chasing him down. Yes. And so a couple things. I feel like. Um, the impression that we're meant to get is that he, it t- took a lot out of him, that performance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's what it read to me. And then I found that when, you know, when it's like slow motion and kind of like quiet muffled sound and you're seeing kind of from, from yeah. Bev's perspective. Yes, yes. It's like the only time in this whole series I've ever found her relatable because she looks genuinely moved, as you would be. She's by like what, in rapture, yeah. By what you see. But then immediately after, yeah, her absolutely chasing this guy down. It's like socially just no intuition whatsoever. No, and he can't shake he can her. Hear, he can hear you. Yeah. He's, he doesn't want you right He's now. He's like trying to sprint away from he, her. He is, and she's like, father, <laughs> father. And then even goes into his house. Yeah. Is outside of his bathroom while he coughs blood into the sink. It's still trying to talk to him. He hasn't said a word to her. It's like, get he the hell out of there. He doesn't want you. Yeah. Get You're the hell out of there. not wanted right you now. You don't even, as far as you know, you don't even know this guy very well. No. No, right? she's known him for like what? weeks yeah, days that's what yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it's weeks weeks but it's just yeah bev is the worst in yep. everything she does even when she's trying to help a guy who's coughing up blood she's yeah. terrible she does um, it badly i have to say too that this is like i love this story so much i really don't like story arcs where someone is sick and getting worse mm. in a movie or in a show it like gives me anxiety mm. When they're, Mm -hmm. like, showing you little flashes, like, they're putting on the face to the public, but then they are coughing up blood. That's what it always is. They're coughing up blood. That's that's cinematic shorthand for, like, this dude's fucked up. Yeah, for this person's really sick. Yeah, and they're going to die, right? Definitely it is. That bugs me because I love this Father Paul character so much, and I'm like, oh, but he's he's not good, right? He might die soon. I, um, in university, got a really, really bad chest cold, and... Like coughed up blood once and immediately called mom and I, you know, I'm in nursing school. So like in the middle of my microbiology class and I said like, mom, I've got TB. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, no, no, you don't. (laughs) TB. (laughs) And and audience, I did not have tuberculosis. Thank goodness. They even test you for it in nursing school. Yeah. Don't they test you for it when you like start a new job and stuff too? If you are in healthcare. Um. We see, too, that they bring Lisa to Sarah, the doctor, for a follow-up. Yes. She's, like, testing her. She's got reflexes. They're doing the hammer-on-your-knee thing. I fully think that a GP, a family practitioner, which is what she is, would be like, nope, uh-uh, not my job. I can't talk about <laughs> miraculous spinal injury recoveries. Yeah, like, what is she really going to say about Fucking that? nothing. You know, if you're jack-of-all-trades, you probably don't have too much expertise in spinal injuries, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, who knows? I don't know. She seems know, very but. smart and capable, but there True. are there are some things in healthcare called silos, and 
doctors, in my experience, like to stay pretty well within them, you know, for their own um, peace of mind and treating their patients. Especially for the really intricate stuff. A hundred (laughs) percent. You know what I mean? Because you don't ever want to be like, as a physician, you would never want to be like, well, you know, it's not my area, but I decided to give it a go and, and then have it you go horribly wrong and you, it would be like you flew too close to the sun. It yeah. would be like an act of hubris to try that. And to Sarah's credit, she says, you mm-hmm. know, I really think that Lisa needs to see a specialist, Yeah, but that would be on the mainland and the family's not into it. A, they say that yep. this condition has basically bankrupted them, yep. which is understandable in America. Horrible. I mean, it's a very sad thought. I cannot imagine the worry of being like, oh, I'm sick and now I'm also bankrupt. And also, B, the mayor, who I think his name is Wade. Yes. He says that, doesn't it just seem wrong to interrogate a miracle? I think he's saying, like, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. That's right. Exactly. And they're quite religious. So they're also like, I don't want to send God the wrong impression Mm -hmm. by trying to figure out by what mechanic this happened. Mm -hmm. I don't care. It's a miracle. Mm -hmm. Right? And Sarah's like, well, I think we should check into it medically. Well, I think we should look into it. Well, I think if God looked into it, then, you know, he's checked into it himself. For for me, like, if I was in their situation, 100%. No, I'm not going to go, like... Fair enough. You know, because what's the worst that could happen is that she's back in the wheelchair because that was status quo. That's right. So, like, I'm just going to keep going the way we're going. I mean, obviously, it's silly that she would have, like, any musculature to her legs, basically. They'd and, be, like, so atrophied, right? I guess, do we know how long ago it happened? Um, I think it's implied to be, at, like, at least a couple of years. Yeah, I thought that, so, that too. That was my impression. That was my impression, too. And then, so one thing that Sarah does that's funny is that she just, like, has a cane in her office and just says, like, here you go. Use yeah, this free cane. cane. But it's not as simple as that because they need to be the right height. <laughs> yeah. And there's also a bunch of different kinds of canes, too. Like, there's there's kinds that have, like, a base of four and have, like, different handles yes, and yes. stuff. So, like, it is a bit, even though to us it seems like a walking stick. It's just, like, a PT would be like, oh, no. There's, like, or, or an OT would be like, there's so many different, you know, things that uh, they, she would need. Again, Dr. Sarah's trying to just be She's trying to be it all. doctor. And right? she, I so mean, she is She's like, Kane, got one of those. Here you go. Please use it. Right. I mean, uh, I do think that that's good that she's like, here, like, don't fall down. Yeah. She's saying, like, don't overdo it. Don't overdo it on your, you know, baby fawn, brand new legs. Newly healed spine, your skinny legs with no muscles. Yeah. Like, geez. Also, on that note, there's a lot of Sarah's mom in this one. She's getting out of bed. Sarah. She, <laughs> she's going upstairs, which she's not meant to do and hasn't been doing. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, this why is my room in the living room yeah. and all this stuff like she's confused she's like this right? is my room <laughs> um what did you think too of the scene where there's a bunch of townspeople on the doorstep of father paul's little home and bev is like gatekeeping oh, the so miracles creepy. like yeah. people are like please my wife she has a big nose and all this stuff all these ailments right yeah please please my <laughs> like, wife for is the love so of ugly <laughs> Yeah, but any like people are asking for a miracle because they have ailments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think of that scene? It's very like that scene in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> yeah. Where all the people are coming to Jesus being like, oh, I'm, you know, I can't walk. I can't this. I can't that. Help me, help me, help me. Yeah, I know it. I know it well.
But yeah, okay, Jenna and I are big fans of a musical called Jesus Christ Superstar, and she's right. There's a scene where Jesus becomes famous for doing miracles, and he gets overwhelmed in a town square where people are like, I have this problem, I have this problem, please help me, I, I believe in God, don't you know? Uh, and is that where he says, like, ooh, don't crowd me. <laughs> don't crowd me, don't crowd me. So that's what, but Bev is just oh, so taking good. a different approach. But yeah. it's so, and it's like, it, we, I feel like you can see her capitalizing on it, on this miracle. She's capitalizing on it for her own personal sense of power where she says, yeah. oh, well, I'll tell you how to relate to God in the right way. Mm-hmm. You have to pray like me, pray like me right now. And I feel mm-hmm. like her personal brand of um, like being ambitious and power hungry just happens to be this avenue, like through you know, where she sits in the church on Crockett Island. Yeah. But like to her, it's, it's as, it's as much as like, I, I don't know. It's, that's her own brand of like wicked ambition. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you could see things like that play out. Like it's, it's very human seeming. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked somewhere where they have like supplies that are for your patients to use, but they're like gate kept by somebody. So like I can, I, I've worked at a couple agencies where there's like granola bars and juice boxes and all this stuff. And it's for my clients to use the kids that I'm working with to use. But when you go to get it, there's a person who has the key and they're like, well, how many people are coming And Like, when did you last get a, a box yeah. of granola bars and all stuff? I'm like, dude, I'm trying to give it to the people that it was bought for. Do you understand? Yeah. You know what I mean? But people start gatekeeping almost anything. We have a donation closet that's like that of like um, clothes that have been donated. And sometimes I'm just trying to give someone a shirt because it's something comfy to wear or whatever. And having people be like, well, that person already has three shirts. Like, <laughs> yeah. like who the hell cares? I know. I, it, people do, but people do get funny and quick. People do get funny about it. And and it's like, it's not yours. Uh, that's it. <laughs> it. They're not your granola bars, Bev. Mm-hmm. Just for the love of God, why do we have to have an argument about this? What do you think I'm going to do with them? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of things kind of happening quickly, but I just thought like every scene with Bev, she makes herself immediately so unlikable. Yeah. She is, she's doing a great job, this actress. Samantha Sloyan. And it is a, a character archetype. That is, it's so effective. It's just like in the mist. What was her name? Was it Mrs. Keene? No, no, because this is Bev Keen. Bev Keen. What's her name? Mrs. Haverty? Mrs. Something like that. She was the worst. Yeah. And the one so who scary. was all, oh, Yeah, she was so the like, worst. So like this archetype being like um, the self-righteous religious. Self-righteous, religious, dangerous type person who's like yeah. willing to willing to wield the religious Bev's aspect like a club, right? Yeah. Like she she's willing to um, batter people with it. You know what I mean? And, and she makes that clear later in the episode too. We get a cool scene from AA where Riley is uh, with Father Paul. It's just the two of them still where he's kind of probing him a bit about the miracle. He says, how did you know? How did you know she was going to get up and walk? Yeah, because he wasn't there. Mm -hmm, Right. And it's interesting because he's able to rationalize a lot of stuff in order to not view Lisa's situation as a miracle. So he's saying. And Father Paul is like 
rolling his eyes about that. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's very good for you. I'm glad you can explain it. <laughs> They're sassing each other. I feel like bit. I feel like Father Paul, as he's getting sicker, is getting sassier. <laughs> yeah. he, that's a good point because later at the next AA, he certainly is. Yeah. But I, I do think it's interesting. So Riley could say, well, she was misdiagnosed and as her spine was resting it was slowly healing over time and it is extremely unlikely but not impossible and so riley's willing to go to the nth degree to rationalize it scientifically father paul is totally the opposite and he'll take situations and say clearly an act of god look at this it couldn't be anything else Mm. right so they are an interesting two people to make up an aa meeting (laughs) 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 um they kind of both, I think their problem both is that they arrive at their conclusion before looking at the evidence. Yeah, they say, yeah, they kind of retrofit it. They say, so it must be science and then they fit it back or it must be a miracle and then they explain it. And, you know, fair enough, a girl who hasn't walked stands up and Father Paul knew she would. I mean, that's a pretty extreme example. But I think Father Paul would also be quick to make anything an act of God way before Mm. Riley, right? So it's like, it's just interesting to see the two of them try to speak to one another, basically. (laughs) But that takes us to a scene that I know, even without having spoken to you about it, we absolutely love, where Ed stands up in their cute little living room. (laughs) He bends down, he grabs, of course, a Neil Diamond record. And he like grabs his back, but not because it hurt, but because like, it didn't hurt. He like grins and like almost like uh, chuckles about it. Like, <gasps> yep. he's oh. And then the first thing that he does upon realizing oh. his back doesn't hurt is he puts on the record. He tells his wife to stand up and dance with That's him. That's literally exactly what I was going to say. It's is the only thing he thought of. Is how sweet is that? That as soon as someone who's been suffering with chronic pain, the pain stops. The first thing he wants to do is dance with his wife. Uh, Yeah, I thought that was just so endearing. I agree. I think that's the sweetest thing ever. Good for Annie and Ed for keeping the spark alive despite having like a 34-year-old child. Like, good for you. A 34-year-old child who's killed a person. Who's got some issues. Been in prison. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, good point. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot going on in their life. And also when he reaches down Mm -hmm. to Annie, she's reading without glasses. Yeah. So there are just these like little cool things. Uh, I thought that was, I love that scene so much. Yeah, how sweet is that? Like, oh, I'm feeling better for one second. I got to dance with Annie. It was was genius and it was so nice. And you just learn so much about these people through little things. What a, like, what a quick, efficient way to say, like, something so sweet. Yeah, it was great. And what, do you know the Neil Diamond song? Holly Holy. Holly Holy. It's great. I really love this song. At the same time, Riley's in his room. And he's making a list of names to uh, that are people to make amends to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he looks over and, of course, he sees Tara, who is all covered in shattered glass. She's a zombie or a ghost. Um, and instead of wishing her good night, laying and staring at her, he pops out of bed yes. and goes right to Aaron's place. See, I was going to say that, too, is that like it shows his progress as well, because that exact same scene of him laying in bed and looking at Tara previously just like. Um, induced him to stew and sit and stew. And in this instance, it spurs him to action. He looks at her and says, I'm going to go do something. And you know what? That is um, a concept we talk about um, with depression a lot of the time is um, opposite action. And it's kind of of like a a skill to learn where when you're um, kind of like first instinct in a depressive episode is to sit on the couch all day or, you know, Mm -hmm. skip that outing with your friend or whatever. 
is to kind of recognize that that where that's coming from um, as like a symptom of your depression and do the opposite thing do the opposite action and that after that even though it's not what you feel like doing in the moment after it you'll probably feel better I agree and I so when I'm working with younger kids I might sometimes refer to that as faking it until you make it Mm -hmm. sometimes you need to kind of act in a way that you would if you weren't depressed or that you were feeling a little better Mm -hmm. in order to get yourself there so like you said going out and doing things with people despite not feeling like it at all Mm -hmm. or taking steps that you know will make you happy in that moment when you don't feel almost like you don't feel like you could, mm-hmm. you know, or dragging yourself through a workout or any of this stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately will probably be helpful to your recovery and, and to your health. I agree. I think, and this is a great example of it. He's choosing to go do something he knows is positive. And Aaron's kind of, I think, shown him the way in that a little bit. And you know what? He, he goes, she was obviously ready and willing to welcome him. It was late at night. Yeah, they knows? were just like hanging out on her porch. So sweet. And I wanted to say too, as I was reflecting and I was watching him kind of make that list, you know, props to anybody in AA because that would be a very hard thing to do. I can't, I can't imagine. It would be really, really hard. Yeah. I just think like, oh, just to lay yourself bare like that, I Mm -hmm. think would be such a challenge. So, you know, props to anyone who is in the midst of that, has done it, like that would be very difficult. Or even not within AA, but just anywhere. Anywhere, yeah, for any reason. With the personal strength to go through that unpleasant process, especially when it's not, especially if it's been a while. Like, but to go back and and realize like, you know what, this person deserves an apology from me, here it is. Yeah, that'd be so tough. There's a rich story here with like a lot of human experiences that Mm -hmm. we can really mine from, right? Mm-hmm. So this song, which is diegetic, is that the right word? Diegetic. Diegetic. But it's also then the the song continues over a montage, right? Yeah. Um, so the song that Ed and Annie were listening to continues as we get a really nice montage. <laughs> Lisa's sneaking out in the middle yeah. of the night. She To go to go meet Warren. To get Warren and, and they go into a boat. They have their first kiss together in oh, the middle of the night. And I'm like, yeah, you go, so girl. Sweet. Like, yeah, you can walk. Sneak out of the house, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You gotta <laughs> go do all those teen things you weren't doing. They have a sweet relationship. They seem like they're really sweet. He just I agree. seems like he's so like just supportive of her. And when she was in the wheelchair, when she's not in the wheelchair, like that's true. It's not about that for him. He clearly just really values her as a person and is so supportive of her during that weird transition to starting to starting to walk. <laughs> Jeez, he's right point. by her side. Good point. And we get an awesome montage here. Like there's life Everyone being breathed. Everyone in the town. Yeah, there's life being breathed back into the town. People are feeling better. Um, they're seeming happier. The church is is getting more and more full, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool to watch happen slowly. The, the Neil Diamond music is very uplifting. Why do you think in the midst of all that, like people are smiling, there's a very light atmosphere. Why do they cut to Bev with the poison, do you think? I think just to show it's people going about their daily life and... She's just like, she's toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good point. It's like, oh, look, people are getting better. People are happy. Not this bitch. And then look at that. (laughs) Exactly. It's like Bev's just rotten to the core, I think. Fucking sucks. I think that's just what we're supposed to perceive. Hey, in case we didn't hit it on the head, narratively speaking, she's bad. Bev. She's terrible. Is a rotten egg. Yeah. It's just like, oh, she's, she is a a wrong and for sure. This is just a great scene. The montage is amazing and it's great storytelling i think Mm -hmm. it like moves things along really quickly i like a montage so do i 
Yeah, very effective. Whether it be training, uh, <laughs> recovery, <laughs> moving, whatever it might be. Yeah, training montages are also excellent. Um, <clears throat> there's a few things like Warren and his friend are helping getting ready for one of the sermons. And they notice Father Paul filling the wine from what looks like like a personal kind of flask. Yeah. Which, but, but he really brushes it off. He goes, let's go. Yeah, he just stares at him as mm-hmm. he pours it in. He doesn't like hide it away. Yeah. But Warren's kind of like, well, that's a little weird, but on they go. And so do you think that um, what Warren is meant to interpret from that is that Father Paul is an alcoholic and that he oh. had his own wine on him? Didn't even occur to me, but that makes a lot of sense. And he, I mean, maybe that's why he's running AA. <laughs> Father Paul has a sermon where he's getting very animated. He's kind of slapping his podium. Kind of like um, agitated. I agree. I would call it agitated. And he is saying that these things in the Bible are not metaphors and they're not colorful exaggerations. They're real. So whereas some people kind of interpret the Bible as full of parables Mm -hmm. that are meant to teach lessons but aren't necessarily this is exactly what happened Paul's saying no well and the Catholic Church says no that happened yeah yeah but and that's the same thing with transubstantiation right it's Mm -hmm. like yes you're right other churches being like this is a metaphor for the body and blood of Christ and and the Catholic Church says nope you are eating flesh and blood of Jesus Christ you are eating it it has been transubstantiated into that. And that's exactly what he's doing. Miracles are real. The sacrament really does become the body and the blood. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's one of the reasons that he's okay doing what he's doing, which is feeding them vampire blood. He's like, yeah, it's real blood. It's what it's what it was it's what anyway. It's supposed to be. Right? That's what it always was, just so you know. Vampire blood must taste okay. Because none of them are like, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it tastes like wine. Yeah. Or maybe he's mixing it. Maybe he's making like uh, sangria. Maybe it's like. <laughs> <laughs> with vampire blood. And some like orange slices. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would have been there like, oh, I like how this guy gets down. If the uh, if the sacrament was sangria, I feel like I would have a better time. Like, <laughs> well, sounds yeah. great. Yeah, but you only get a little sip. Yeah, that's right. You don't get a picture. <laughs> yeah, like if the picture wafers were please. if the wafers were cookies. If the wafers and were the Ritz wine crackers. Was sangria, <laughs> like, hey, I like this church. If the if the wafers were tortilla chips. <laughs> and the well, wine is well, then maybe the wine could be salsa. And you're like <laughs> body of Christ and you take and you it, and you, it, it, it <laughs> and you get one salsa tortilla oh, chip. Oh no, but I'd keep going back for more. Well, for more blessings, yeah. Yeah. Um So he's promising them redemption, body and soul on the island. Then he has a dizzy spell and he falls down. (laughs) Falls down real bad. He's willing to attribute a great deal to a dizzy spell. He's like, oh, I'm I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Then he gets dizzy and falls down three wooden steps onto the ground. Yeah. Says, Bev, get the smelling salts. (laughs) Yeah. And then immediately after that, we cut back to his confession. The confession's kind of interspersed through mm -hmm. the episode. We see those wooden, it's like a... Which are, they're like the Stations of the Cross. Exactly. Except that for him, it's, you know, the Stations Station of, of, of what his, happened to him. his progress through That's exactly right. And I was kind of looking them up and Stations of the Cross, to call them the Stations of the Cross wouldn't be right. Mm. But this is the way that we see Stations of the Cross represented. Yep. So you're right. And the word for that type of art is a relief. Right. So when you're carving mm-hmm. things away, but it's still attached to a big mass, that's called a relief. And yeah, he's talking about the story uh, of his experience near Damascus. Mm -hmm. On the road to Damascus. Right. And he also references uh, the Apostle Saul, 
who saw a bright light that knocked him down. And then he ended up following Jesus, became the apostle Paul. Yeah, changed his name from Saul to Paul. There you go. Like Father Paul. Yeah, I think there's an allusion there to Father Paul. He wanders into a sandstorm because he was that senile. He walks into the middle of a desert and he said the storm was so bad that it unearthed ancient ruins. And he basically walks into a cave mm-hmm. that, that appeared because the sand was moved mm-hmm. around so much. Mm-hmm. Right. So this old doddering old man walking through a literal sandstorm into a cave and mm-hmm. you're like, oh shit, mm-hmm. did we lose that guy? That's bad. Yeah. We lost him in the sandstorm. Talks about, um, you know, seeing a bright light and that that happened to the Apostle Paul and cut to Sarah's got her flashlight right in his eyeball mm-hmm. doing her doctor thing. Yeah. And he uh, he says, I'm proud of you. She goes, OK. Like, yeah. She's which like, thank you. Makes a lot of sense given he's mm-hmm. known her all her life, but she doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, he's he's feeling a lot of warm feelings to her for taking care of people, for being the town doctor. She tells him it seems like he's fighting a virus because his... Because he's feverish he's, and yeah. dehydrated. Yeah, yes. And she says he's dehydrated. Now, what was your impression of that? Is that because he's not drinking people's blood, but he should be? I don't think so because he's not full vampire yet. It's because he, he hasn't can... died yet. I guess. So, like, he'll start needing to drink blood once he dies. Yeah. Okay. Because he's still able to walk around in the daylight and everything. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. But he's still apparently drinking vampire blood, too, Vampire blood, but not human blood. Okay. Bev cancels all his appointments, and he looks meaningfully at Sarah, and he's like, there's one I won't miss, and that's going to see Sarah's mom, which, again, I thought was so sweet. (laughs) Like, for all his faults, Father Paul is, generally speaking, a caring guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then this is when we get one of the best scenes in the whole show. This is Joe Colley versus Lisa. Mm. She goes right to his trailer. She storms in. Mm-hmm. He's giving her this wide berth like a grizzly bear is in his trailer. You know what I mean? He's like horrified. And he would never tell her to get out of his. Like he knows. He's stunned. He, he is at her mercy because he, yes. he knows that there's nothing he could ever say or do to make things right. So he, he would let her spit in his open mouth. <laughs> If she thought it would help. Yeah, Yeah, he would. Oh, my God. And then she goes right to a gun on the wall. She's like, is that the one? And he tells her, no, 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 no. That's my grandpa's gun. I had to throw it away. He threw it in the bay the the day it happened. He couldn't be around it anymore. Lisa says, oh, you know, your place is just like I pictured it. And she goes on to admit that she's happy about that, that he's kind of living in some kind of squalor, basically. Really interesting. She's coming in. She's angry. She says as much. She recounts that day, and A, it was heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking and the fact that, oh, the way she talked about her dad. I was walking with my dad because he talked to me the most then. When we so were I'd, walking. So I'd ask him to go on walks with mm-hmm. me. It's like, holy hell, that kills me, mm-hmm. right? And that just makes me think about, like, just, like, you know, your kids wanting you to pay them attention. It's, like, ugh, brutal. So she says, go, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. And good for her, but that's so sad. Um But one thing, she's, for some reason, choosing to tell him exactly what happened on that day. She tells him, I was walking with my dad. Here's the reason we did it. We did it all the time. And then this happened and I got shot and I couldn't feel it. And he was screaming. Yeah. And and dad was screaming like she'd never heard a person scream. And that is exactly like a trauma narrative, which I thought was so interesting. So one of the things that can happen when people have trauma is they become hypervigilant and they are 
extremely distressed by any reminders or any triggers that bring on thoughts of that event. And what they might do as a coping mechanism is to just have complete avoidance, right? And that works in the moment. But if you have a trigger like, you know, not seeing uh, a car or not seeing someone with red nail polish or, or like things like that, you can't really live your life and not run into those triggers, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that people might do in order to treat that would be to do what's called a trauma narrative, which is when the person starts by recounting the story and do as much as they can and do it as often as they can so that they become desensitized to the memory, mm. right? Not that they avoid ever thinking about it because then, you know, if they're able to do that trauma narrative while also learning some coping skills and, you know, um, getting some mental health treatment as they do that trauma narrative, they're able to become more comfortable with the memory and how it happened. And not just that, but one of the things about the trauma flashback or the trauma memory is that we remember the kind of worst or most painful parts of it, the scariest parts of it. And with a trauma narrative, something you can do is go through that, but then also kind of go to the end and say what happened after that happened and, you know, talk about some of the other things that came after the trauma, not stop at mm. the t most terrible part. Mm. So I thought that was genius. Like I, I thought that's kind of what she's doing and she's going through exactly what happened. It's really upsetting to her to do that, but she feels it's important to do. Right. It's kind of to torture Joe Colley, but it's also for herself kind mm -hmm. of a catharsis of I'm not going to avoid thinking about that day anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So I thought that was awesome. And it's like almost like the reverse of what Riley's doing, where he's going around apologizing to people and she goes directly to the person who owes her the biggest apology and instead like preempts it by ultimately telling her him that she forgives him you're right yeah and, and maybe he wouldn't have been i mean he did say sorry but you know it wasn't it was she needed to be heard first anyway yeah and i don't think that he's like strong enough to get to the place he needs to 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 really like acknowledge everything that he took away from her yep and articulate it and apologize to her and wait for her forgiveness or not i don't think that he would have been strong enough to do that so she had to be the one to go do it i think that's a great point because later he kind of says as much mm -hmm. um she's really harsh and really honest with him she says she hates him she wants him to feel pain she wants him to beg for her forgiveness so that she can say no i don't give it to you she says that on that day he stole not only who she was, but who she could have been. Yeah, you reached like, through time. Like it's so brutal. Yeah. Oh my God. And he's so sad. He's oh, like, he's so he's sad. Like, at this point, he's like gasping. I'm like going like to cry little, right now. I thinking know. about it. He's like gasping like a little boy. He's a he's great like, actor. Oh, he's like physically reacting to everything she says. Like it was like a blow, like a physical blow. Yeah. Like, and I just feel like you can hear that he's like snotty and like, oh. he's just like, he is just a puddle of a person. Yeah, and the biggest reaction that he has is when she says she forgives him. She forgives him. him. It's like, yeah, it's like a, he has a physical, almost like there's like a, a taut string inside him that broke. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, and it's like she forgives him and it's not just a relief. It's like pain. Because mm -hmm. probably with that comes like, I don't deserve it. Like she told, she told me that she forgives me, but I don't deserve it. Yeah, and you're a grown man. And you're in this position and, and there's a child who's forgiving you. It's like, geez, right? And 
just a role reversal and everything. And and then Lisa says, even now, just saying it, it's different. So, I mean, that slams home the trauma narrative for mm-hmm. me. It's like she needed to speak it out in order to have some kind of, in order to be able to kind of face it, mm-hmm. right? And unfortunately, Joe needs to be in the audience for that. Unfortunately, not unfortunately. It's a very painful road for him to be on. She's taking back control of her life because hate was kind of ruling over her, mm-hmm. she says. And she tells Joe... And now you have to do the same thing because you can't use me as an excuse anymore, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, right? you're getting in your own way. Like she was like, I was getting in my own way. And now you're get you're the only thing in your own way. And Joe is sobbing like, oh, this is so- a killer scene. Definitely. Right? And what we were building to for a long time. It's another big monologue, which sometimes people are critical of this show because it has but some it's monologues. it's so dynamic though. Because it, it's like, it, it's a monologue, but it's like to Joe. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it's different than, you know, someone just kind of like giving a speech because it's so much. It requires Joe to be there, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'm down for it. Me too. I I love it. There are some monologues later. I'm still like, I'm still okay with it. But um, like, I can see more what people's problem would be with those ones later that rather than this one. And I'm picking up on some things. Like, I don't know if it's in the writing. They love to use full names. A bunch. Joe Colley. So it's like, you did this, Joe Colley. You you reached through time, Joe Colley. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's obviously, like, sounds very poetic, and that's what they're after. Um, also repeating things. I hate mm. you. I hate you, Joe Colley. I hate you so much that, like, you know what I mean? Mm. So I was definitely, like, picking up on some, like, okay, we're going to hit him right in the feelings and have this big speech now, and we're going to use some of these uh, mechanisms to make that hit, right? Um, oh, get a really cool scene as well. Bev having a showdown at the schoolhouse with some parents who are raising concerns. Mm-hmm. The fact that she is uh, proselytizing and handing mm-hmm. out Bibles mm-hmm. at school. Yep. And I think that Hassan's um, like argument here is so well crafted and so well Absolutely. done. And it's one of those things that's really unfair because because he's representing a minority in his community he feels like he needs to be the chillest calmest most articulate version that he could possibly be because he's representing like every muslim in his, you know like if to this community he might as well so that's exactly it he's so, like, so rational and calm yeah and i think he feels like he needs to be open to what she says exactly so that he could she can then be open to what he says but that doesn't happen so what happens is he's very kind to her and, and he doesn't get it back respectfully that that's not i the understand issue. given your religious affiliation you might find the fact that your son is interested in the bible Offensive, Not at I all. suppose. But I would say that if he is interested in Jesus, why not allow him to learn a little about That's it? That's so not the issue. And thank you for this opportunity to clarify. Yeah, like Bev's allowed to like rant and rave and have the floor for the majority of this interaction. Um, and no one says boo. But yep. he feels like he needs to be... And and like he, even the way that he's like engaging with the other people, he's looking at Wade to be like, I have read the Bible. I've studied Jesus. And, and Wade's like, like oh, 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 nice. Oh, nice. And he's like, actually, we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe this and we believe that. And he's like looking around to people and saying it as if he's like doing a lecture. He's like so articulate, calm, yes, cool, was. collected. And also that Bev can say, oh, you know, actually, I think that the Quran's pretty offensive and yes. it's cool when I read the Bible <laughs> like, Stupid and Bev. just say this dumb stuff. And and then he catches her out. And despite his like tight, logical argument, still, it's all for naught because 
you know, Bev is just I like, I don't know, bulldozing right through him, despite the fact that she said, I don't think that school is the place for us to be discussing our where we differ in terms of our beliefs about scripture. And yes. he says, exactly. And so he completely, um, you know, deflated her all of her arguments, let all the air out of her uh, what she was saying. Yes. And it's still like so in a debate, it would have been like game over you're the winner, but it just, it's all for naught. Doesn't even help. Doesn't work. Yeah. I, I have a note here. Like Hassan is basically owning Bev. He is. And yet it doesn't, <laughs> and it doesn't work. She can't, she can't, um, she can't be owned. She can't admit it. And then like, there were so many things that were said, you're right. And he says, you remember when we were talking about the wicker man and we said like detective Howie was so religious. And then, uh, Lord Summerisle says, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. We are a deeply religious people. <laughs> and he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and Detective Howie was so upset to hear that. And then so when Hassan says, yeah, my son knows a lot about Jesus. The Quran <laughs> She's can- like, oh, I'm sure not all. Yeah. And he's like, Muslims consider him to be a prophet of God mm-hmm. and explains all this stuff. And she's like, well, yes, well, you know <laughs> what I mean? And she's like, well, I think a lot of passages in that Quran are quite offensive. So of course we're going to take issue if that were read. Like she's such a bitch. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Uh, this, uh, you know, props to the actor. You did a fantastic job. Oh, she job. really did. Hope I never meet you in person. Yeah. But yeah, another fantastic scene that makes us hate Bev. Yeah. You know, they're, th- uh. this series is absolutely lousy with them. One thing that happens, so again, Riley and Aaron are together. He says he did what he called a fearless moral inventory, which is something, it's a term I'm not familiar with, but it's I basically- I bet you it's probably an AA term. No? I think so. But it's basically in the name. You know, he, he did a very critical assessment of himself and he found that he is a coward, right? And Aaron said, don't talk like that. Don't talk about yourself like that. If someone talked about you like that, I'd kick their ass or whatever. And she kind of makes a joke out of it, but she does stop him. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is a very CBT type conversation. So she's kind of reframing the way that he thinks. Um, Many of us are a lot harder on ourselves in a situation than we would be on someone else. Right. I've done that reframe with patients so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, you know, I've had someone say to me, you know, oh, well, I don't think that I'm going to be able to to go get a job or live on my own. Right. Or, and then I said, I might say something like, do you think that your loved one would say that of you? Right. Or do you think that your doctor would say that of you? Sure. But um, would, yeah, frame it in a different way. Like, do you think that someone close to you would say that same thing? And like, or yeah, turning it the other way, would you say that about your That's close right. friend if they were in this situation and that kind of thing? Yeah. And it's very effective because it's, it's not a trick. You know, no. it's not something to try to have toxic positivity. I feel like it's just like a reality check. It's a perspective yeah. check, yeah. Like- and so, you know, a little note to listeners, not that we're trying to teach anybody about how to use therapy yourself, but one way to check your thinking is to ask yourself a question like that, right? What would I tell my best friend if they were in this situation? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to have so much more grace for them than you often would for yourself because so many of us can be very self-critical and it just helps you to not necessarily come to the conclusion but to gain some perspective in your thinking right like am I am I too wrapped up in this am I being too hard on myself am I being unrealistic Mm -hmm. and is this thought unhelpful Mm -hmm. right oh and so often yeah because a thought can a thought can also be true and unhelpful right Mm -hmm. so 
there's ways to change your thinking because like, am I going to die one day and mm-hmm. leave my kids on this earth with no father? Yes, mm. I am. It's a terrible thought, but <laughs> oh, no. is it helpful to sit around thinking it all day? No. Right. So yeah. it's like, yes, it's true. And it's unhelpful to, to spend any more of my time thinking about that. Not to say, don't ever think it, but to say like, let's reframe my thinking. Let's change it to something different. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I, uh, that's something that I've, I found the older I get, the, the better I get at doing that kind of thing. For sure. Like definitely on a social level, the difference of me being able to, I'll still get the automatic thought sometimes of, mm. ooh, I don't think that person likes me. Oh, I, yes. I think that that person found me annoying in that interaction. And whereas in high school, it would have been like, it would have just gone on. Been and, a sure thing. And conti- well, or it would have continued and be like, oh no, how annoying did they find me? Oh no, I was so annoying. And now I go, well, I don't care. Well, I'm <laughs> thinking, fine. thinking back, weeks and months Mm. about something annoying you did right like and and as a kid you're so wrapped up in it you can't see outside of it and now i can go like okay well so what if that one person thinks i'm annoying that doesn't matter add them to the list yeah yeah (laughs) it's a long list we're all suffering we've all been long suffering yeah so like again i think just really good writing here riley attends aa again and he's a little late and he comes Mm -hmm. in and and they're sit Father Paul and Joe Colley mm-hmm. and, and Father Paul says, we're a trio now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was awesome. I, I think it's cute. I, You know what? I almost wish that there were more episodes of the show so we could have seen more yeah. uh, of the three of them. Me too. It would have been really nice to see, to be honest, especially because I would say Joe jumps in with two feet. Yes. He's immediately honest. Yes. Oh. He's honest yeah. and open. He's saying, yeah, this happened to me and then I didn't want to drink anymore. And, you know, and I thought, let's go with that. Like, can go you imagine having an experience where you got dressed down by the girl that you shot in the spine and paralyzed and going right and telling somebody about it? Mm-hmm. Right. Like he's so unguarded by being willing but to share. You know what? I think it's because he he was starting subterranean. He was already starting from like the lowest that he could be. The whole town knew he did it. Yeah. Already. Oh, I suppose you're right. So it's like no secret. It, it was no secret and he knew that everyone hated his guts. So it's like to go from there, there's kind of nowhere to go but up. And maybe that was the quote unquote, and I know that this is not a clinical term. Maybe that was the quote unquote rock bottom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or maybe he'd already hit it a long time ago. That, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I meant when I said like subterranean is like he yeah. was like lower <laughs> yeah. than rock bottom because he was so, so low and had such a low opinion of himself. And so the, yeah, the three of them together is, is great. And this is another place where, yeah, um, Father Hill is showing his kind of impatience because- I have that note here, yes. Because Riley, Riley, I, I mean, his, uh, his kind of self-deprecation can be a bit tiresome sometimes. That's Because true. he goes like, well, I don't possibly have anything to say to you, Joe, because I'm, I'm so bad myself. And Father, Father Hill says, that's bullshit. <laughs> like, you do have something encouraging that you can say to Joe, so just say it. And he says, I think back to that Riley who first came in the door. Mm-hmm. And basically, you've come away since then. And he says, you can tell Joe something about drinking that I can't. Mm-hmm. So, so do it. So do it. Yeah, like he's very, yeah. he's like put up. He's like basically saying like, put up you or shut have up. to do this thing. And I'm I'm telling you, you, it's time to do it. Yeah, and like you can't, fo- you can't fool me. I've seen, I've That's seen right. your journey and I know you can say something. So just stop this charade and just do it. And I think Riley then Riley does, does say it. something Steps helpful. Up. He says that you coming here is enough and it won't always be enough. Like you have to, you have to keep moving forward. But today you took the biggest step that you possibly could have, which mm-hmm. was coming here. So like, it's good that Father Paul did that. It's good that Riley did that. And then Riley and Joe's walk home where oh. Joe is just like, 
to really spilling his guts to bearing Riley. Bearing his soul big time. Yes. Bearing his soul indeed. And Riley's a good ear for it. Like, I agree. And he doesn't interject much. Nope. He jokes when Joe is jo- Joe starts by joking about how shitty Bev is, which yeah. everyone, it's a topic everyone in town can get on board yeah. with, right? It's like, how's the weather? Hey, Bev's a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, she is. That's true. She's still a bitch today. Oh, yeah, that's, she is. That's true. <laughs> but I agree. And then he just like, Joe, I think maybe he was really lonely. He's telling everybody everything. Like he tells Riley that his sister was the only one who ever cared about him. She left Crockett and he didn't even go to see her when she was sick and she died like a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh my God, poor Joe. And then he says that she always asked him, why don't you just leave that island? Which it's like, yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Everyone's looking you at you like you're a piece of shit all day mm-hmm. and you think you're a piece of shit. I can understand why she asked, but he said it would have been too easy. Almost like he deserves to be He's punished. doing like penance. Basically, that's exactly the way that I took it. And so I guess, I mean, not that it's a good thing to try to torture yourself because it, sure. it never is. But it's almost like a bit of strength of character that he at least has the desire to not take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think it's right to feel that you have to do torturous penance. I don't think that that is the correct choice. But I'm saying it shows some strength of character that he sees what could have been an easy route, um, but feels like maybe he should not just take it just because it's easy well he's choosing to not use avoidance yeah you know he had some he didn't want to see lisa in person no but he's not avoiding a very un a very uncomfortable situation but i agree and i thought just these scenes are great this is a great episode joe was clearly ready for a change he just needed a little bit of a bump or to realize that today was the day. Mm-hmm. And so luckily, Lisa going in and friggin' like breaking his whole world apart was it. Like he could have taken it one of two ways, right? That could have been the thing that really off, like destabilized him even more because it's just so upsetting to go through, mm-hmm. right? So luckily for Joe, he was able to use it as the, the thing that motivated. Yeah, the catalyst. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yikes. <laughs> Um, yeah, are they going to fucking scare anybody anytime soon? <laughs> yeah, this is a horror show. <laughs> I love it. Me too. Uh, Hassan's son, whose name is Ali, tells him that oh, he wants to go to This is another heartbreaker. Right? Uh, of a scene. Oh my God, it's so sad. <laughs> and, like, uh, and even though, like, this is kind of interesting too, because it's like Hassan can talk the talk but with his son not really walk the walk where he says i love i would love for my son to learn about jesus and then he says no you can't go to that church but it's that's not it that's not it because hassan is a perfect man (laughs) so that can't be it but i agree i did think like well why wouldn't he let him go then but i feel like it's coming from a different place because it's not truly in my opinion it's not truly about the religious aspect it's about the family aspect of him saying you are a you are a Muslim, like I'm a Muslim, like your mother was a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so to be leaving like Islam behind in even that small way of like going to a Christian church, um, like even just like to try it out or to observe it, it hurts Hassan too much because it's too much of a step away from the family that he had. It's personal. Right? Yeah, that that's and what I'm like, thinking. It's I'm losing it's connection. It's personal with my not son. religious. Yeah, I'm right? I'm losing connection with my son and he's losing connection with his mom that he can never get any more of because she's gone not to mention 
they pray together every night. It's the last oh. thing they do before they go to bed. It'd be they like pray together every night. Yeah, be like so if sweet. I had a tradition of you know playing bedtime story, bedtime story, or playing a certain board game with my kid or something, and then they outgrow it, and I'm like, oh. but you know that was our thing, right? Well, jeez, holy hell, eh? Thanks a lot, Mike Flanagan. You yeah. son of a bitch. You were just talking about it. We're not even watching it right now. Oh, this, this show makes me, I tear up all the time just watching this show. It doesn't always last long, but no, I, I tear I up all the time. I had a hard time watching Joe in this episode. Like I was, uh, I was feeling so much for Joe, mm-hmm. but I agree. That was, I was having the same experience. Um, Hassan also says it's important. His connection to being a Muslim is also important because of his connection to his mother who mm-hmm. died of pancreatic cancer. And then yeah. he also says, because he knows that one of Ali's interests here is being wrapped up in this miracle talk. And people are very much talking about huh, it. It's a small town. Right? And not to mention Bev is like, we're living in a miraculous <laughs> time. And there's just no way around that. And it's, uh, yeah. anyway, he articulates an argument that is a very common one. And I think there's probably a name for this type of thinking. Like it's such a common rebuttal. Um, but he says that if that's that can't be the way that Allah or God works, that can't be it because how could he give a miracle to this person and not save this person? How could he how could he lift Lisa out of her chair and not save your mother from pancreatic cancer, which she suffered through yeah. and was devout and was devout throughout. the whole time. Yeah. Right. Really driving home the message that I think is the crux of this whole show that Father Paul is very naive to think that he could bring holiness and redemption to a little island and have it just for them mm-hmm. and that God would be willing to entertain such an idea. Mm-hmm. Like if he knows the scripture so well, he should know that that's not the way that it works mm-hmm. and that you can't just like like ordering holy water over the internet. And being like, this is the way God is bestowing his miracles. Like, of course not. And Father Paul should have known better than to think, well, this is my ticket to save this island. If I bring this angel to the island, he'll do good for the people of that island. Like, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense. So I like the kind of parallel there. Or it's like uh, people praying over football games, like praying (laughs) praying to, to win. Yeah. It is really funny, but we yeah. personalize these things so much, right? It's our personal conversation with God if we have one. And what do I care about? That's what I'm going to tell him about, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, do you remember my our aunt one time bought me when I was like a little kid? And I remember them so much because I'm, I'm pretty sure I used them. There are these uh, little tiny, um, an inch tall, mm-hmm. um, like wicker dolls that were like wrapped in thread to look like clothes. And you kept them in a little box and it was like at, at night you tell them your worries so that they like take your worries away. And I would do that. Nice. I used to do that. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, oh, I, my braces are too tight. <laughs> like, I don't know what I was worrying about. <laughs> um, <laughs> my friends think I'm annoying, probably. <laughs> and the vo- and the doll's like, oh, enough. You yeah, said that too, last night. Too many worries. <laughs> you said that every night for the past week and like we're just little inch high dolls we can only carry so many worries their their shoulders are so so sore but i do like a little bit of that i like a journal at night Mm -hmm. i like a worry doll the idea is out of my head and somewhere else right so it's like it's still a cathartic kind of thing with anxiety especially for the people who's can't shut their brain off totally i really like the act too of writing it down because it's like if i went to the grocery store with 10 things I needed to get, 
all I would be doing because of the way our brains work would be repeating those things over and over and over in my head so that I didn't forget them. If I write them down on a list, then I'm not thinking about them at all. I'm mm-hmm. just looking at that list and crossing them off. And sometimes I think we can have the same experience with anxiety, especially if it's late at night. You're like, your body doesn't want you to forget about this problem because it wants you to deal with this problem, right? And that's just the way our bodies work. So if you can write it down, you give your brain some assurance like, okay, it's not that I'm ignoring this problem. I will get to it. You're externalizing it. You're putting it outside yourself. Yeah. So one of the final scenes-ish, the Scarboroughs are, are visiting with Bev and Father Paul's house waiting for Father yep. Paul to get home. They uh, were brought over a dish, right? And then they were talking about um, having like a community dinner. Yes. Nothing extravagant, just a community dinner. <laughs> fucking Bev. And who? what's the name of the bearded gentleman? Sturge. Sturge. Sturge is there fixing the pipes. So there's uh, four people there basically waiting for Father Paul to get home. In his house. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the, yeah, basically living room of his house. He does come home by crashing through the door, hitting a, hitting a shelf and falling down, down and dying. <laughs> That's what he does every time he comes home. There's just not usually people there. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he's, he finds it. He's got social anxiety. It's very difficult to be out there. He crashes into his house exhausted. Um, but what he actually does, he falls, he coughs up blood and he dies and his eyes are bloodshot. Mm -hmm. He stops coughing and choking. There's blood all over his mouth. Um, which is then intercut with more of his flashback was which is a really great horror set piece Mm -hmm. because he's in the pitch black cave lighting matches to see what's in there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what, what does he see there? The scary monster. (laughs) That's right. And the first way that we see that there's a monster there is the same way we've seen this monster the whole time. Rising which is up with the dark eye, with the, the yes, lit up the, eyes. The reflection of the um, match in the two eye holes, the two eye dots that are there. And then his match, of course, goes out, all this stuff. We get a classic kind of jump scare where he lights it and all of a sudden the vampire's right in front of his face. And, and like makes a horrible sound and like leaps at him. Exactly. And then, And then is it as he's like being attacked that he sees the it with the halo yeah the vampire attacks him it drinks his blood we see all these scenes in relief on like wooden carvings which Mm -hmm. is also really cool Mm -hmm. um and when the vampire kind of stands over him he sees an impression of light around his head which he thinks is a halo Mm -hmm. and then what did you think of this scene in general like do you think that this is a good scene like i thought i think it's scary yeah i did too i did too what did you think of the look of the vampire great I, lo- I love the way that he looks. I think that he looks super scary. Me too. And I don't think that he looks silly. I don't either. I think he looks creepy and ugly. He's not much fun to look at. <laughs> he's got these big leathery wings. Um, and he's got like a, a, it's like Uncanny Valley. He looks pretty human, but not really. Um, and I think like props to that because it is not, when it comes to monsters, if there's a monster who's so much in the zeitgeist, they can be difficult to make scary. Like a mummy. Like, am I really going to be... I, I think it would be hard to make an effective, truly scary mummy. They're almost more of a gag, mm. right? And a vampire might be in that same category. But this one actually is a pretty effective monster. And I mentioned that in a previous of these Midnight Mass episodes. Because mm-hmm. I think that um, what makes it so scary is that they leaned in full monster. It's not a person with fangs. That's true. It's yeah. a monster. And he doesn't talk. And that probably helps, right? Yep. He like he is not a person who has, you know, like spooky teeth and can't go out in the sunlight and has creepy contacts in. He is a monster. 
Exactly. And as Father Paul is recounting this in his confession, he says there was pain, so much pain when he was bit, and then the fear drained from his body. And that's basically when the vampire stands up and, like, did you get the impression he was kind of assessing Father Paul? Why did the vampire then cut his arm and feed Father Paul his blood? So what I think is that um, he's like, this is the first person that I've encountered in like 300 Thousands years. Of years. Yeah, or however yeah. long, in like a thousand years. So I can't just eat this guy or else I'll never get out of here. I need to make, I need to keep him alive so he can get me out of here. Okay, that so makes that a I lot can of sense. Keep eating people. Okay, okay, because that's what he does. And he, he cuts his wrist, he feeds Father Paul his blood. Father Paul is convinced that he's being presented with the blood of everlasting life, the Eucharist, basically, because he's already said, you know, and the word popped into my head, it was an angel. His mind finally found the word. The word was unearthed by his fear, like the tomb was unearthed by the storm, and the word was angel. Right. So, I mean, not many people are going to see this thing and think angel father, Paul, he was able to do that for some reason. And even like the, uh, the wound in the wrist is also like kind of like a stigmata kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. He wakes up the next morning though, in the cave, in the sunlight, and he is way younger. He's like 40 or 50 He's years like, younger. Uh, Hamish Linklater. Yeah. He with is a, suddenly beard, Hamish yeah. Linklater. Right. But why do you think that happened to him? When it's been so slow for the other people. I think because he got it straight from the tap. Okay, that's what I was like, wondering. And also because he was like, I don't know, maybe also the biting had something to do with it. It wasn't just like living your normal life, drinking a bit of vampire okay. blood. That it makes was sense. like the whole process. Yeah. And he, yeah, he, he drank a rape from the arm. He probably drank a lot of it. maybe it's not the next day. Like maybe it's a couple of days later. Who knows? I think he said the next morning, oh, okay. but I mean, true. I did wonder the same thing. He, he notes that the angel was fearful of light. So there's light cascading into the cave, but the angel won't step into it, um, which is just your classic vampire, right? And he says, okay, and then he packaged him up. He brought it home. I don't know how, right? I mean, this is post 9-11, right? They're going to absolutely... <laughs> like, are you going to question me, a priest? You're going to have TSA problems, buddy. Um, but he said, by the grace of God, I was able to do that. So it's like, eh, hand wavy. Yes, it happened. <laughs> yep. And forgive me for the small lies I must tell in your service. So again, Father Paul willing to rationalize almost anything for the end result. But mm. it, it had me thinking like this is like he's thinking of it in the way of like what we do on behalf of kids. Right. Mm. <laughs> Something scary is happening <laughs> in the world. Hey, dad, is that going to happen to me? No, nah, it's not. Right. Or, you know, what if I get sick? Like, uh, you, you know, you're healthy. Not that we are telling a lie by saying that. They probably are healthy, but we're leaving out the part that like anyone could get sick. We don't know. You know what I mean? Like we do little things like that because we know it's for the ultimate good, right? To not have that kid be terrified of what, what they're not old enough to know yet, mm -hmm. right? And so I think Father Paul is very much looking at it in the same way, but he's being much more duplicitous than even he thinks, I think, than he realizes, right? Mm -hmm. And then the last scene, he kind of, springs back to life gasping terrifying everybody because wade was crying they were all crying they were praying because father paul had just died right in front of them on his floor and he kind of goes like and comes back to life and bev immediately it's a miracle it's a miracle it's like this disgusting horrifying thing that happened is a miracle mm -hmm. like he died that's not a miracle 
You know, he, what if he just kept living? Would that have been a miracle? Why yeah. did he have to die like that? Or I was going to say, uh, like, maybe he just wasn't dead. How, yeah, how many certainly minutes has it been? Sarah wasn't there, right? Being like, <laughs> I declare this man yeah. dead. Um, but he does. He springs back to life, and that's basically the end. But as there, we get like a shining thing because the camera zooms in on an on old newspaper article, which shows um, the way that Monsignor Pruitt, who is Father Paul, used to look, which is like Father Paul, right? And it's funny because throughout the series, you'll catch people looking at that newspaper article. You see Bev do it and be like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, just a really cool um, scene. So, any final thoughts on this episode? Great episode. Great episode. Couldn't agree more. Very emotional. I guess it's like a turning point. Yeah. Things get uh, get fully spooky monstery from here. That's a good point. And this is, I'd say, the scariest oh. scenes, um, but also the most, It maybe they were like, they were so isolated. Mm-hmm. It was only in the flashback mm-hmm. did we see something truly scary. Or like just quick, super quick. Super quick. And the rest was just really emotionally heavy stuff. Um, but it is about to turn more into the kind of, like you said, monster movie kind of thing like father paul's gonna have to start drinking blood all this stuff because he has died and now has woken up a full vampire yeah he's a full-on vampire now oh it's gonna get good and it has already gotten good (laughs) it's gonna get gooder (laughs) yes well guys we really appreciate you listening in on this episode we're gonna be doing um another episode about a a full movie recap as well soon which will be about the witch that's our modern one Mm -hmm. Uh, that we're going to tackle next and we'll continue with these midnight mass episodes as well so um want to thank you guys very much for joining us thanks again for listening if you would please um reach out to us uh on instagram or um via our email um the fear response podcast at gmail.com we would really love to hear from you um and please tune in for our next one we hope you enjoyed this one we'll see you next time yes take care everyone bye